land in LA at midnight and I turn on Instagram and the first post that I saw was NBA cancels its season. That was the moment where I knew we were done. Got home, unpacked my stuff and the worst kind of feeling kind of set in right then. Um, I couldn't even like look at any, like I had like my trophy in my room and like all this tennis stuff. Like I couldn't even look at my rackets or anything. I was just so upset. We're gonna go out on the field. We're gonna score as many goals as we can. We're gonna have fun. Oh, Becky, oh, well placed. This is the second to last installment of Retirement by Pandemic, the run-along mini-series focused on sharing the stories of athletes whose careers were ended by the spread of COVID-19. Today, part three, the spring sport athletes. I know, you, you were not expecting it after part two, the winter sport athletes, but here it is. And no doubt, there is a lot of overlap between the experiences of these two groups of student-athletes. But there are definitely some interesting nuances with regards to the spring sport folks, all of which come down to the timing of those momentous conference and NCAA decisions. I mentioned in the last show that most winter sport athletes actually did see out the end of their seasons before everything shut down. Those who were still standing in March were really the best of the best, those gearing up to compete for a national title. Very different situation for the spring sports. In contrast, every spring sports student-athlete this year had their season end prematurely. And that fact is the big reason behind an important NCAA vote that took place about a month ago. On March 30th, the NCAA announced that spring sport athletes who had their seasons cut short this year would be given an additional season of competition. It's pretty cool. The extension of eligibility is nice, but it's also not for everyone. For some, it might not be feasible financially based on how the allocation of scholarship money shakes out. For some, it won't be logical based on the career path they've planned. And for some, it just won't feel right because of any number of reasons it doesn't make sense to push your college graduation back a year. So, today on the show, two senior spring sport athletes. One on the Amherst women's tennis team, the other a redshirt senior on the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team. They dig into what it was like to watch their final go-around as college athletes end right before they had really even started. Both Camille Smuckler and James Anastasiadis came into their respective senior seasons with a lot of momentum. Like, I'm really talking the energy of a small army kind of momentum. For James, the momentum he entered his redshirt senior season with was primarily generated from a trying set of personal challenges that began shortly after his freshman year of college. So my first two years at Hawaii were pretty rough. And, you know, like every college student, something new, you kind of get dragged into partying. You want the huge social life, put on a lot of weight that I didn't want to put on. A lot of learning the hard way. A lot of growing up happened in those couple years for James, and his immediate support group grew intensely. Most people can probably say the same about their first years at college. Going to Hawaii kind of accelerates the process, though. 
the great thing about being stuck on an island is the fact that you're stuck with the people you're on there with and that's it. There's no mommy, there's no daddy. There's no, none of the best friends you grew up with. So you're stuck with your entire team. You can go home for the weekend because it's going to cost you about $600 and it'll take 12 hours to get back home and back. So you really spend all this time with your team. And one thing I'm fortunate enough is that I can truly say that all my best friends are on that. I like those five years that I've been there. Every single person is best friend of mine because we've just spent so much time together. The end of his red shirt sophomore year, a third year of what he saw as unmet potential provided a wake up call. I was like, okay, you kind of have one more shot at this and what are you going to do about it? You've had all this experience. You've had all these seniors coming in and out of the program. They've told you like what you have to do. So I kind of sat down myself that summer and I was like, all right, what are you really willing to do in order to be in the position you want to be? And obviously everyone wants to become a starter on that team. He was determined to make his last two years different. He did his own workout and nutrition research to lay out a two month plan for that summer, trained with a jump coach. He was stronger and faster. Literally, James dropped 30 pounds. And went into my redshirt junior year and probably the best shape of my life. James was inspired by the company he had kept. Those guys on the team who had emptied their souls into the program, season after season. For some years, the Hawaii men's volleyball team hadn't witnessed the success they were accustomed to as the perennial powerhouse they once were back in the late 1990s and early 2000s. When James was a true freshman, though, the program had been starting back towards their winning ways. They finished fifth in NCAAs in 2015 and third in 2017. And then, 2019, that redshirt junior year for James was special. First of all, they sold out their home arena for the first time since 1996. Walking out on senior night last year, was one of the most amazing experiences because you looked up and it was a whiteout and there was not one empty seat in the arena. The noise that 10,500 people can make in a closed structure is kind of scary. And it was the most electric night ever, I would say. It was crazy. And they did that twice. Also last year, Hawaii made it to the national championship. It was the kind of unforgettable experience any student athlete would hold dear. But for James, it was extra unforgettable because he faced off against his brother. We were always supportive of each other. And yeah, once you walk in, the brotherly love isn't there anymore. But once the game's done, you know, you just go back to family's family. Um, My parents were the most excited because they were the only people that walked into the gym. And regardless of the outcome, they were going to win. They made t-shirts that split half into Hawaii and half to Long Beach. But the Rainbow Warriors lost. And as much as you think it, like, separates us apart, it kind of brings us closer together. He still brags about it all the time. (laughs) That's for sure. National runners-up, Olympic silver medalists. They're incredible accomplishments. But when you're that close, it can leave you with a bitter taste and absolutely more fired up for the next season. It was like, all right, we're going to do whatever it takes to finally win that national championship. We've been chasing it for five years. Not long after the national championship run, 
James was forced to confront a reality that threatened his health. I kind of fell in a little too deep on the nutritional part my redshirt junior year, and I went into a form of anorexia just because I really wasn't, not that I wasn't starving myself, I just wasn't eating properly for the demands that my body was going through. Older, now a leader and mentor on the team, James, understood himself well enough at this point to know he was going to overcome this challenge too. That resilience came to solidify as a part of his identity. Going into this last season was huge for me. I tried to become a lot stronger than I was. James worked to find the balance. For him heading into his final season, the experience, the physique and fitness, the mental part of the game, seemed like it was all inching closer and closer to harmony. Okay, so... Now you've gotten a sense of the rocket ship, the Hawaii men's volleyball team, and James Anastasiadis were on getting ready to land for the 2020 season. Put a pin in that. Circling back to our other spring sport athlete, Camille Smuckler. It features a lot fewer pineapples and a lot fewer days of sufferable weather than Honolulu, but Amherst also kind of has its own island thing going on. I think at Amherst, it's so small. You can kind of get into your little bubble of like, whatever's at Amherst is all that matters. And you don't really look at what's happening, you know, in the rest of the world. Just 1,800 students nestled in some Massachusetts wilderness. Small Northeastern liberal arts colleges are their own magical, culty little places. Especially when you're on a sports team like tennis. I think you get just like really close to your team. Like really the first day you step on campus... Um, They're already, you know, like trying to include you in everything and trying to, you know, get a meal with you. You become really tight with your team, especially with tennis, which your team's probably like eight to ten people max. Um, So I think, yeah, you can really form close bonds. It's really pretty fitting that the Amherst mascot is a mammoth because that's exactly what the school is from a Division three sports perspective. The women's tennis team is no exception. They are... Very, very good. 25 straight NCAA appearances, a lot of deep runs in the tourney, quarterfinals, semifinals, over and over, a national championship to their name. They were ranked number five in the country at the end of last season. And this year? This year they were looking, they were looking good. Um, When I talked to the other seniors, you know, we were all saying, um, and with my coach, we were saying that, we probably have the best team that we had had um, in all the years that I had been at Amherst. We had good freshmen coming in. Um, we had really strong sophomore class. It's pretty big. And also as a captain, I think I'd done a lot of like trying to get the team to be very cohesive off the court, on the court. Um, We've done a lot of like fitness training as well. So I think we were really um, ready to go. No surprise. One of the reasons the Amherst women's tennis team is so strong is because they have really freaking talented individuals. Individuals like Camille here. She was named an All-American all three of her collegiate seasons. I felt really good going into my last season. Um, we had kind of a fall preseason, which is more like individual tournaments. I did pretty well um, individually in the fall. So, I mean, for my individual time um, in the spring, you know, I I was pretty optimistic about how that would go. 
But that's not the full picture of her success in the program. We're talking about momentum, remember? Building to a peak. These are Camille's individual results from those three years. Freshman season, she makes it to the NCAA round of 32. Sophomore year, the round of 16. Junior year, the national semifinals. I'm absolutely not a math person, but even I can see that if these three points were mapped on an XY line graph, it'd have a positive slope. We know what direction this is going in. James, Camille, Hawaii, Amherst, up and up and up. And then, frozen, unable to go any further, thanks to the coronavirus pandemic. For both, trips to California, one that didn't happen and one that did, came to represent important moments in their soon-to-be-halted journey. I think in the weeks like leading up to our spring break, there was definitely discussion about will we be able to go on spring break was the main question because we were supposed to go to California. And I think people were stopping to travel or, yeah, had stopped traveling a little bit in like late February and early March. And um, that's kind of when we were like, uh oh, like spring break might be canceled. And then past 12 hours, so much has changed. Imagine what's going to happen by the time we land in California. Land in LA at midnight, and I turn on Instagram, and the first post that I saw was, NBA cancels its season. That was the moment where I knew we were done. The conference that Amherst plays in, known as the NESCAC, was one of the first sports organizations in the country to announce the cancellation of spring sports for their member schools. Along with the Ivy League, their decision came on March 11th. I think for me, at least, it was like disbelief. Um, I just really, I don't think it hit me until a while after it happened that it actually happened because I think I just didn't see it coming, you know? Like, maybe I wasn't following the news closely enough, but I think we were all just shocked that, you know, this virus would become, you know, what it did. And um, yeah, just pure like disbelief when it happened. And also, I mean, a part of me, I think, was in denial I think I was like, oh, well, we'll we'll figure it out. You know, maybe we won't have spring break, but we'll come back to campus and play. I think I just, like, initially after, I was just shocked that that had happened. And then, like, of course, very disappointed, you know, when it sunk in that that was happening. Just thinking that all that hard work could kind of just go to waste was the most disappointing part of hearing that news, especially before spring break, which is, you know, arguably, like, the best time of the year for us um, tennis players. So we get to play like every day um, and it's our first matches. So I think the timing of it was pretty tough. The NCAA's decision came the day after. For Hawaii men's volleyball, their whole team wasn't even together when they were delivered the news in a hotel conference room. Only 14 are allowed to travel. So I was trying to mentally prepare myself for it to be done. And I thought that I had accepted it. All the seniors were pretty hysterical when we found out the NCAA canceled the season. We were kind of like laughing about it. And you just really don't know how to feel about it because it seems so surreal. Hawaii men's volleyball finished the 2020 season with a record of 15-1. and Amherst women's tennis, 1-0. and No conference matches played, 
Seasons that could hardly be counted, really, as seasons. These two tight-knit groups did get a chance to come together in the wake of the heartbreak. A moment to enjoy being in person as a team before being forced to break apart. After we found out, our coach had us come to her house for like a team dinner. And I think it was just a weird time, I think. We really didn't know what to say. I think we were just mostly um, disappointed. I think my coach was in disbelief as well. I think she was like, I can't believe this is happening to you guys. And and I think people felt especially bad for, for the seniors because, you know, I think they were like, well, we'll get another shot. But, you know, this was kind of our last shot and it was taken away. So I think, you know, we are like underclassmen just like came and supported us. We would all just kind of like hang out in the final days, um, just spend time together as much as we could before going home and just having the support of like underclassmen. Um, Yeah, they were really supportive of us seniors and what we were going through, especially at this time. Our last match of the season, regardless of what it was, um, the seniors have always talked about what their experience was like at UH, and it's a really emotional, <laughs> very emotional 30 minutes, I would say, of being in a locker room, really sweaty after a game. So we kind of, like, the seniors got up one by one, and we kind of, like, set our thoughts on what it's like being at the program. You know what? This is kind of a reality right now, so we might as well just say how we feel. For Camille, it seemed as if, for a second, Maybe a sliver of daylight existed in the door shutting on her collegiate tennis career. Maybe, maybe the opportunity to play. I mean, after all, not all sports are created equal. Not all sports involve putting your sweaty body up against other sweaty bodies. Was there ever a part of you that was like, okay, but singles tennis, for example, like I'm socially distancing. Can I get like a wa- <laughs> can I get a waiver for this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I talked to my mom, actually. And my mom was because Amherst was, I think, one of the first colleges to send students home and close. And I think people were like outraged about it um, at first. And my mom was like, okay, are like, are you sure this is really happening? Like, what about the singles tournament? Like, that'll still happen, right? You know, she was like, oh, you'll still be going to play, you know, even if the team stuff doesn't happen. You'll still have the team, like the individual um, NCAA tournament in May. And I was like, no, that's not happening. I mean, if the team's not happening, they're not just sending, you know, individuals out there. But I think at first, you know, we were like, well, you could social distance and play tennis. But no, didn't. All right. So maybe that wasn't super realistic. But Camille, like all NCAA spring sport athletes in the time of Corona, did have that year of eligibility spared. It's not as easy at the D3 level, but it is possible to take a fifth year. I, it did cross my mind. I mean, now I, I don't think I, I would do that, but um, I think it would really, I would want all the other seniors to do it with me because I think they're a big part of, you know, what I love about the team is having, you know, I love um, the girls in my class and having them there is a huge part of why I love the team. So I don't think so. If it was just me, I don't think I would do it. So, yeah. It was really over. And like our guest touched on in the winter sport episode, the adrenaline-fueled psychological response required to safely and quickly move from point A to B in a pandemic makes it so 
Lots of feelings are put on the back burner for a bit. Announcements made, get your stuff together, say your goodbyes, leave campus, go home. And only really then, after the red zone cools, when you get those seconds of quiet, does it all wash over you? I don't think it was until I actually came home, back home to Washington, where it's really hit me that, okay, my volleyball career is done. Got home, unpacked my stuff, and the worst kind of feeling kind of set in right then. Um, I couldn't even, like, look at any, like, I had, like, my trophy in my room and, like, all this tennis stuff. Like, I couldn't even look at my rackets or anything. I was just so upset. And you start to deal with the what-ifs of the season that never was. Dude, the amount of blood, sweat, and tears I had put into that program and not accomplished the goal. I've talked about um, this kind of upward slope with my coaches before, and we would joke about how, you know, every year kind of made it farther and farther in this tournament. But then, you know, it wasn't as funny when it, like, couldn't really come to fruition, I guess. The hardest part was all the the time and the energy that I had put into kind of getting to the spring season, which was like a lot of dedication. I mean, I'm like very dedicated to tennis. I love it a lot. I would even like have my assistant coach like toss me balls for like an hour before real practice just because like something wasn't feeling right. Like my forehand felt weird or something and people would be like, you're crazy. And so just kind of like, all the energy and dedication I put in, I wanted to have a chance to kind of prove myself. They've started to create their own piece with the end, stringing together an understanding of what the time they did have meant, even though the end of it all came with so many loose ties. When I think about it, I was like, you know what? I competed in arguably one of the best teams in the history of the sport. I competed against them every day. And I try to make them better as best as I can. It's not always about being the best on that team. It's what are you going to gain out of that experience? It's given me best friends for life. It's really changed my mindset on what success is and how much it really takes to be successful. I think I've, I've come to terms with it more now and kind of taken – taken like been grateful for what the experiences I did have and that I got to kind of go to the tournament every year I mean that's a feat in itself so I've just been happy that that I got to have those opportunities the kind of closure that demands to come from within but you know that doesn't mean others can't help with a send-off we had like this zoom senior day which our coach organized and like alums and family came on and like teammates spoke about us and I think that was really nice to have some sort of recognition I think that that's kind of what I was looking for is some sort of like recognition and just closure on that it's over because I think that's the only the only way you can really move past it and just with time I think though it's not much in the grand scheme they have had a little time coming up on two months since the pandemic shut down collegiate sports And the transition from campus to home, as many can relate to, has meant being surrounded by family, for better or for worse. I kind of feel like a kid again. (laughs) My two older sisters who live in Boston are home. And yeah, with my parents, I'm in the basement right now. Um, (laughs) You know, you're back home with all your brothers, your mom and dad, which for our family hasn't happened in about seven years. 
Coming from a student-athlete perspective, some elements of the lockdown situation can be more jarring than others. I'm not going to lie, the first two weeks were pretty crazy because you go from weights, class, practice, extra weights, homework, sleep. You know, you go from having this perfect schedule every day to you have all of this free time. Free time, which James and his mom are using to help him learn new skills. So I've built two sheds. I've built a fire pit, a deck. Um, I've learned how to pave. What I've come to the realization right now is that knowledge in this circumstance is probably your best superpower, I guess, because... The more that you can learn in all this free time that everyone's just being given to them, the stronger you're going to come out of it and the more you're going to be able to do when you have the freedom to either start your own business, when you have the freedom to have a job. Not to mention focusing in on the things he's found a love for through his time at Hawaii. Fitness, nutrition, and wellness. When you master that one thing that you love, people are going to follow you and people are going to want to help you. So I'm trying to... And he's waiting to hear back about whether he got accepted into Hawaii's master's in kinesiology program. Camille is also thinking about her next step, as she'll be graduating in just a couple weeks. I'm thinking of going to law school within the next couple of years, so that's definitely one of my options. I was also a poli-sci major, so I'm thinking of doing something political-related or government-related in the meantime before I go to law school. So... This series is about a uniquely harsh, right-out-of-a-dystopia kind of ending. Only these senior athletes in 2020 can really say that their competitive sports careers, that their college time in general, came to an end at the hands of a pandemic. Without traditional senior days and last matches against conference rivals, this haphazard goodbye has left them, might continue to leave them, with scattered, sometimes sharp pieces to pick up. But this bizarre end they reckon with now has also left them with the kind of gratitude that sometimes can only be born from special circumstances. I went from being a 17-year-old kid that thought the importance of life was your image, your look on Instagram, your look on social media, your stats, to five years of just growing up and seeing that life is a lot more. You know, even if you're done officially playing college sports you'll always kind of be a college athlete and you'll always carry that the experiences and the memories of that with you so just I think being grateful for the time you did have and and remembering that that's always in you thank you to James and Camille for coming on to the podcast and thank you for listening hope to see you next time